hate speech is under the microscope. The imam of the Al Noor Mosque is calling for a reform of the country's hate speech laws to include religion. Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern has promised to work with all parties across Parliament to close the gaps. In this country, hate speech legislation as recommended by the Royal Commission of Inquiry. Long-awaited reforms to our hate speech laws have gone before Cabinet and have stirred up some discontent. When we make laws, uh, we're not here to have fluffy intentions. We're here ultimately to protect the freedoms of New Zealanders. And this vague legislation that can put you in jail for three years for an expressing an opinion, that does not meet the standard of protecting people's rights. And really, that's understandable. This reform affects free speech. And free speech is an area where governments tend to tread lightly because they tread on our freedoms. What we do not want to end up with in New Zealand is a situation, UK-style hate speech legislation, that has ended up with people being criminalised and even imprisoned for foolish and silly comments on social media. Kia ora, I'm Emile Donovan, and today on The Detail, my newsroom.co.nz colleague Mark Dalder and Canterbury University Dean of Law Ursula Chair on what's actually being proposed how, if at all, it'll affect our day-to-day lives, and whether it's actually the best mechanism to make Aotearoa a less racist, more tolerant and, above all, safer country. My kind of takeaway from this a little bit was that in terms of how this is going to affect people's lives, it's probably quite minimal, eh? Yeah, I don't think we're going to be seeing mass arrests for hate speech or anything. I think it'll likely be limited to a smaller number of high-profile incidents if it is successfully used at all, which, you know, the existing provisions, which have been on the books since 1993 and had some predecessor provisions as well that, that went back further, have never ever been used to successfully convict someone of an offense for hate speech. Do you think in that case maybe that these reforms kind of have a bit of a PR issue? It feels almost like they're a bit of a beach ball in like a culture war. You know, you see David Seymour go on breakfast and talk about how people do feel a great fear these days about what might happen to them for expressing honestly held opinions. Uh, they feel they fear cancellation. They fear getting attacked for, at their, in their place of employment, they fear losing their job. They certainly do. And for the state to join the pile on, I think, would be a grave mistake. You know, policing their language on Twitter just in case the cops come and knock down their door to arrest them at 2 o'clock in the morning because they expressed a robust opinion. I mean, that's not realistic, though, is it? Yeah, I think it's, you know, these are almost legalistic or technical changes to a piece of legislation that, again, has never successfully been used to put anyone in prison or to make anyone pay a fine. These are not going to sort of fundamentally change the ways we live our lives or engage in in debate. You know, they have some some broader impact in terms of signaling, you know, how New Zealand should feel about hate speech, you know, what, what the government, how seriously the government takes it as an issue. But that's a symbolic declaration. It's not exactly a a pragmatic thing that that results in actual sort of hard consequences for for a significant number of people. Yeah. So, like, mindful of that, like, why should we care? Why do these matter at all? I think it matters just because there's a recognition that the existing law isn't working. And if you don't mind, I'll go through and, and just sort of lay out what that law says. Please. This was part of the Human Rights Act, which was passed in 1993. 
there are two provisions in there that deal with hate speech. Section 61 is sort of civil issues with hate speech, so whether you know individual people are, are suing uh, other individual people, and then 131 is the criminal provisions for hate speech. It's not called hate speech in the law. It's called inciting racial disharmony, and it is fairly limited in, in what counts as hate speech. So for starters, uh, you can only have hate speech done against you if it is on the grounds of your color, your race, your ethnic or national origin. So it doesn't include people like LGBT people. It doesn't include women. It doesn't include uh, Muslims or religious groups. And then in terms of what actually meets that bar, it's you know someone who with quote, intent to excite hostility or ill will against or bring into contempt or ridicule any group of persons in New Zealand on the ground of, again, color, race, or ethnic or national origin, publishes or distributes written matter which is threatening, abusive, or insulting, or broadcasts words which are threatening, abusive, or insulting. There's a, a lot in there, but roughly it, it means, you know, it, it's, it's a very subjective test. It's a very confusingly worded test, and it's pretty limited into to what applies. So, for example, it's maybe unclear whether it applies to something that is online. It's certainly limited to things like radio or, or, or television broadcasts or, or written physical letters and, and that sort of thing, or written in a newspaper. And and it's limited in who it applies to. So, again, you know, if, if someone is inciting hostility or will, ill will against gay people as a group, that doesn't fall into this provision. These reforms are, are seeking to, on the one hand, expand the number or, or groups of people who are protected from hate speech under the law, mm -hmm. and then also clarify the definition of hate speech, which would be you know, inciting disharmony. But that clarification of that definition will actually create a, a higher bar, a, a, a stricter threshold that you have to cross, uh, which makes sense because we're now saying that more groups of people uh, are protected from this thing. We want to make sure that we're not making it easier to prosecute people based on just sort of their opinions or, or what their speech is. The Cabinet paper contains six proposals, which we'll condense a bit here to avoid getting bogged down in legalese. It'd expand what's protected by hate speech law to include age, sex, gender identity, sexual orientation, religious belief and disability. It would make the punishment more severe, increasing the maximum fine from $7,000 to $50,000 and the maximum jail sentence from three months to three years. It would also move the offence from the Human Rights Act to the Crimes Act, where our most severe crimes are. It would also tighten up what hate speech is actually legally defined as. And this is a key point. So it's incitement of disharmony based on an intent to stir up, maintain, or normalize hatred. So, you know, it's not just what you feel, but that it has to have a broader societal impact. And, and, and that's the general idea with hate speech in general. The legal and social theory behind sort of hate speech prohibitions and, and outlawing hate speech is not, that it doesn't just have an impact on the individual who is subjected to it, but it has a broader societal effect, and, and that's where we take issue with it. So the original provisions sort of tried to address that by talking about, you know, groups that could be protected and, and that these were bringing into contempt various groups of, of people. This is a bit clearer and it says, look, we're presuming that some of this hatred already exists out there. If you're trying to stir up more hatred, if you are trying to maintain hatred that might be otherwise waning, or if you are trying to normalize hatred that is sort of newly coming into the mainstream, that is an issue. 
because that has a, a an effect not just on the person who you are abusing in in person, but it has an effect on a whole group of people, and it has an effect on how society looks at and receives those people. Hate speech is a bit of a nebulous term. It means different things to different people. A 2020 joint report by New Zealand's NetSafe and its Australian and UK equivalents found some 14 to 18% of adults said they'd been the target of online hate speech. A German survey in 2020 showed 94% of 14 to 24-year-old respondents said they'd observed hate speech online. But... The Australian e-safety commissioner observed hate speech was frequently noted as anything negative that was directed at another person. Therefore, it was seen as going beyond the incitement or spreading of hate to communication that's hurtful or which simply causes offence. And one thing just about everyone in this space agrees on is that just because something's hurtful or insulting or offensive, that doesn't make it hate speech. So, what does? The proposal here still sets a very high bar for what would be criminalized and, you know, a very high bar for what would be liable for legal action. Things like using the wrong pronouns does not fall into that. You know, that is not inciting disharmony based on an intent to stir up, maintain or normalize hatred through threatening, abusive or insulting communications. It is rude. In some cases, it might be transphobic, but, you know, this law does not ban anything that is racist. People can still say plenty of racist things in New Zealand and not violate the law. So those who are concerned about that should take heart in that. But uh, (laughs) It's a niche audience, so fingers crossed the detail doesn't have too many people who fall into that category. No, but, you know... Generally speaking, this is a law targeted at people who are intending to stir up hatred, right? You know, you're not just saying something and being wrong, you know, not making a mistake, but someone who is with full knowledge of the impact of their actions trying to convince society to hate a certain group of people based on the fact that, you know, they are different from us, right? These reforms give us an opportunity to have a broader conversation about sort of what kind of speech we find acceptable socially, but not legally speaking. But in terms of what the reforms themselves are actually proposing to criminalize, it's a very, very small subset of speech that's out there already. People who might be concerned and look at this and say, why is the government regulating speech? Or or, what impact does this have on my ability to have controversial opinions and share them and discuss them? You know, it won't have an an impact on that ability. And perhaps this is an opportunity to have a broader discussion about, you know, the degree to which we are, as a society, comfortable with having discussions around things like, you know, use of pronouns or aspects of religion or or Mm -hmm. what have you. But if you're really talking about the laws and if you're, you know, you shouldn't be using these laws or these proposed reforms to make, you know, a false point that, any of that sort of discussion would be banned because it really wouldn't be. But of course, as with any language that's used in legislation, there are all sorts of areas where there might be ambiguity. Ursula Chia is the Dean of Canterbury University's Law School. I'm a bit concerned if they're looking at uh, talking about 
I don't mind there being a connection to threatening or abusive uh, communications, but I'm a bit worried about use of the word insulting. To insult somebody, uh, I get quite insulted by many of the things that are said about women, for example, but um, I realise that's just something that has to be put up with, even though, of course, I can complain. Uh, but I don't think that all forms of insulting language should be criminalised. And so I think using words of this kind can mean that some areas of speech, and you're right, it is difficult to predict what these might be, but the point is that there is a risk there that um, some speech that we might not have worried about before may be included. We're in the realms of legislating speech here, aren't we? And that sort of throws up some dicey stuff. It does, and I think it has to be very transparent what what's happening. I think uh, the issues around freedom of expression and the fact that um, this desire to legislate to try and change society's approach to hate speech and um, get rid of racism and that sort of thing will mean censoring speech. And I think we have to be very clear about that when we do it, and we have to be very careful about it when we do it as well. The reason is that we live in a a liberal democracy, and the the most fundamental right that is recognised in liberal democracies throughout the world is freedom of expression. And this might appear to you know only be a matter of theory, and free speech theory might might be something that's you know right up there above most people's heads heads and doesn't affect their everyday lives. But the fact is that um, we all take free speech for granted, and that in a a, a good and functioning, well functioning liberal democracy. We need to know what's going on uh, and without free speech we can't do that. One thing that I hear a lot about and commentary around this is the idea that this should really be focused on harm, minimising harm and that yep. perhaps a, a more helpful terminology actually would be harmful communication rather than hate speech because hating is in and of itself is not a crime, right? Like we have to be free to hate. <laughs> yes, unfortunately we do. It's not not a very nice idea, but if we think somehow we can legislate hatred out of existence, I, I, I think that that's just a hopeless expectation. And, and of course, you've got that connection that's being made there then between speech and between thought. And, and people are very, very uh, protective of their thoughts mm. and their right to have thoughts. And of course, it's often argued that, that, that having negative thoughts is, is a good and cathartic thing. And, and uh, so it's actually something that's necessary for our well-being and for our, our health as well. Um, so there, there are in, enormously complex questions around um, societal behaviours and what's accepted by society and and what it means to be a human being actually wrapped up in this question of uh, what is hate speech and um, whether we can effectively eliminate it or, or try and regulate it. The Muslim community calling for stronger hate speech legislation. We would like to see a new law to distinguish between what is hate speech and what is freedom of speech. Why is it important that gender identity and sexual orientation are included in in any hate speech legislation? Our communities experience disproportionate levels of um, bullying, discrimination and violence. Do you think perhaps people who, you know, are hinging their hopes on this legislation have unrealistic expectations when it comes to the effect that it's going to have Yes, I think it is true that this debate has built up ahead of steam. Since the terrible mosque shootings, there, there's 
the undertaking from the government to look into it and uh, report and do something about it, there have been delays with that. So I think that has added to perhaps the increase in the expectation around what will come out of the process. And I think overall uh, there is generally in New Zealand uh, too much of a uh, reliance on the law as being able to change things. Oh, we'll pass a law and that will fix everything up. New Zealand has certainly been known for decades as being very keen on legislating to uh, deal with uh, problems and issues. And we've had one of the largest statute books comparatively in the world and been quite keen to just keep adding to that and um, has been remarked on uh, by legislators and and those involved in the legislative process um, that that is a New Zealand thing. So I'm very concerned that the expectation will arise and will fall too hard on this idea that changing our uh, hate speech provisions will uh, make a big difference. I think the place to look is overseas and look at the different things that are happening. They've made amendments of this kind in the UK. Um, they have um, a very different, uh, well, a very comprehensive approach, for example, in Germany, which involves not only legislation but also education. But I don't think you can say in any of those countries that racism has gone. This is a fundamentally deep, complex, social, human problem. And um, just legislating with a new hate speech offence isn't going to solve it overnight. Yes. I mean, let's talk a little bit about the sort of education side of things. I mean, you you seem to advocate for that um, a, a, a bit more. Uh, that's a poorly phrased question, but, I mean, you, yeah, you know no, what I mean, I, right? I do. I am... Absolutely convinced that we can't have new legislation without education. And rather than just a general vague sort of idea that, yes, it's a good idea to have some education in this area, I think we need to be much more focused than this. And the government has to commit to specifically providing for an education uh, a change in NCEA. And I believe that this should take the form of a course, a compulsory course, uh, put into the school curriculum at high school level from year nine that will focus on, I mean, it's not magic what the name should be, but you could call it something like civics and technology. Mm. So uh, my idea of what should be in this course would be, um, it would be quite diverse itself, actually, but it would cover um, what it is to be a citizen, what um, the responsibilities of being a citizen are, rights and responsibilities, um, and freedom of expression would obviously be covered in that. But closely connected with this should be uh, coverage of diversity, the need for diversity and the need for tolerance in relation to being a diverse society. And then, of course, the idea that uh, being online in particular, um, there are rights and responsibilities that go around that. And there's a need to know how to behave in that space as well. So I think all of those things go hand in hand and should be um, put into a specific course aimed at uh, as early as possible in the school curriculum, but certainly into NCEA, um, and that that should be... I'm loath to make any recommendation of adding more things into the school curriculum. I'm thinking of the poor teachers here, given that um, our government has, for example, changed the history, the teaching of history in the mm. curriculum. And um, this, this, of course, adds to, unless you resource it properly, adds to... Um, 
problems for our poor teachers. But nonetheless, I believe that, and I've become more and more convinced throughout the development of this debate, that um, this is an absolutely essential change that needs to be made in the school curriculum. Yeah, I mean, and that kind of makes sense. The, the metaphor that kind of sprung to mind there was that when it comes to things like this, legislation is like a plaster or a Band-Aid or a medicine, yeah. whereas education is nutrition and, and making yourself hardy in the first place. That's lovely. That's a lovely analogy, and I think you're absolutely right. And the two must go hand in hand and um, both be resourced um, rather than just hoping you know, there'll be a bit of follow-up in one area. So I think it should be a coordinated approach. I think the other thing that's important to note about changing the law, if you create a new crime, then you're putting a burden onto the police around that new crime mm. as to uh, how they go about investigating those crimes and how they arrest for those crimes and the prosecutions that may follow from that crime. So they have to operationalise what is in the statute. And um, if you've got a, a big and an important change of this kind, you're asking them to train up on it, make sure their police are very well trained. I've been very interested to look overseas, for example, to see um, how the police in the UK have gone about operationalising the new forms of um, hate crimes they've uh, given effect to over there. And it has led to some difficulties and has needed special new guidelines, special training for the police. It feels like, you know, the intention of these reforms is clear. I kind of vacillate between understanding the desire for better protections but not wanting to open yeah. Pandora's box. Yeah. While the aims of of this programme of reform are, I, I think they're good aims, I still think that prohibiting hate speech has to not be about discourage this was said in the Wall and Fairfax case, not be about discouraging repugnant or offensive ideas. The laws mustn't target the ideas. They have to be about how something has been expressed in public and the effect that that might have. So that's the harm that has to be focused on, whether there is hatred actual hatred or hostility is actually stirred up in some way and and that's the challenge that's the challenge at the very heart of all this uh, and it's not an easy one I think it just has to be acknowledged it's not an easy one That's it for today, I'm Emile Donovan The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform and if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Mark Jennings. And thanks to Mark Dalder and Ursula Cheer. Matewa. <laughs>